Thank you for listening to the Alan Wright Sermons Podcast. I'm his son, Matthew, and we have been splitting up the sermons every other week at our house church that my wife and I host on our farm. If you're interested in joining us, check out wrightfarmhousechurch.com. Enjoy today's lesson. When I was 11 years old, our family, my brothers and sisters and my mother and dad, and I believe in my grandmother, we were traveling from um, here, from Huntsville, to Los Angeles to catch a ship to go back to Fiji. And so we were driving through Arkansas, and my dad wanted to stop at a state park called Diamond State Park. Has anyone ever heard of that one? Yeah. Yeah, Diamond State Park. And it's a unique park. You can go into this park, and you can look for diamonds. Well, I was excited about that. I said, real diamonds? Yeah. And my dad was even more excited. I think he wanted each of us to find a diamond. (laughs) (laughs) And so we went there, and all it was... Uh, the place we went to was just this huge field that had been plowed up and you could get shovels and rakes and pans as part of your entrance fee. You just go out into the field and you dig around looking for diamonds and you could wash it. They had these places where you could bring your dirt and wash it and look for diamonds. And so you could get all these little gems. Well, my five brothers and sisters my mom and dad, the seven, I don't think my grandmother joined us. <laughs> we went out there for hours. You know how many diamonds we found? Zero. It was such a disappointment. We found zero. But today, what I'm going to do is share with you, I'm just calling this three diamonds in Mark. All right? Because the neat thing, we can search through the Bible, and we can find these little gems, these little, these, these neat little Um, uh, diamonds in the Bible, valuable lessons that we can learn. So we're not going to really get into, like really deep into each of these verses. I'm just going to show you three diamonds. Now, the book of Mark is like a biography. Biography tells a story about someone, right? And it's like a biography. And so you could entitle this, Who is Jesus? He could have started out by giving his biography a a title, Who is Jesus? And in the very first verse, he says the beginning of the gospel about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And so he says very quickly here, this is the beginning of the good news about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And I think what he is saying here, he's not saying that, okay, I'm starting a story. Here's the beginning Uh, Once upon a time, the beginning, he's saying this gospel, these 16 chapters, this whole book is just the beginning about Jesus. And when we finish these 16 chapters, we continue to learn more about Jesus. And we learn that in Acts and Romans and 1st and 2nd Corinthians. The rest of the Bible teaches us how to apply the life, the good news of Jesus to our lives. So this is the beginning of it that just tells the story about who Jesus is. And he says two things. He says he's the Christ or the Messiah. All right, those both mean the same thing. 
which meant God's special anointed one, the person who God chose for a very special purpose. And he says he's also the son of God. And so if I were growing up, let's see, Timothy there is was in Ephesus. That's in Turkey today. If you were in Ephesus and you had never heard about Jesus and someone came and said, listen, I want to tell you some good news. And you say, okay. And it's about this man named Jesus. And he's the anointed one of God. And he's the son of God. And I go, well, why do you think he's the son of God? And then the, then Mark tells the rest of the story. He says, this is why I think he's the son of God. This is why I believe that he's the son of God. And he goes through all these stories. And I'm going to look at these three gems that are going to tell us something about why Jesus is the son of God. And the first one is in verse 24 of that same chapter, chapter 1. Verse 24, but to back up a little bit, Jesus is teaching in a synagogue in Capernaum. The people are amazed at his teaching. Uh, He's teaching in a new way, a different way, not like all the other teachers. And then it says, then a man, this is in verse 23, in their synagogue who was possessed by an evil spirit cried out, what do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy this? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. All right, here's going to be our first little gem that we're going to look at today. First of all, this can you imagine a crazy person in church? <laughs> well, this is a guy who had an evil spirit, which is crazy, and he's in their church, the synagogue. I don't know if he was just sitting there quiet. I don't know what was going on. I don't know if Jesus is teaching and he just kind of wanders in. Something is, you know, it's kind of a, the Bible really doesn't say. But he say, he starts out by saying, what do you want with us? That's interesting. So I looked this up in the Greek and it says, what to us, uh, what to us is to you? What of us is to you? What does that sound like? What are we giving to you? Maybe, yeah, or, 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 yeah. What, what's between you and me? You know, it's almost like he wants to fight. Hey, what do you want between you and me? Oh, you and me? Yeah, that's really the kind of the thing that, that I get from it, is that, and I think one translation says something that, hey, what's regarding you and me? What's between me and you? All right? And it's kind of a challenge. This evil spirit is kind of given a challenge. It's kind of putting his dukes up a little bit there and just saying, hey, what, what, you, you want to you come on? Come on. What's between you and me? And then it's, it's, it's kind of a, a show, a, a false show of strength because he says, have you come to destroy, to destroy us? He's like, because I know if I get in a fight with you, you're going to win. <laughs> you know, so he's challenging him, but he knows, oh, I, I might be destroyed because he says, I know who you are. And this is the, the what I want you to look at. The Holy One of God. What does that mean? The Holy One of God. It's not used a whole lot in the Bible. 
It's not used a whole lot. Now, one thing you can learn is when you see titles in the New Testament, here's a title. Son of God is a title. The Holy One of God is a title. You go to the Old Testament to find those same titles, and you can learn something about what it meant. All right, the Holy One of God. I bet I bet none of you can think of the three people that are called the Holy One of God in the Old Testament. Anyone want to make a guess? We're not going to guess forever because this is going to take forever. Jonah, wild guess. Who do you think the Holy One of God? There's three people in the Old Testament. Moses. The Holy Someone Abraham. says Moses. Wrong. What? <laughs> Man, no. Abraham. The Holy Spirit. No. Abraham's wrong. David's wrong. Elijah. Who? Elijah. Elijah's wrong. Saul. Saul is wrong. Gideon. Gideon's wrong. David. David's wrong. All right. See. <laughs> See, it's like, come on, all the people we think. Now, the first one, no, Jonah's not either. The first one, like I said, we're going to not do it forever. Who? Job over here. Not Job. All right. So let me tell you, because you're not going to be guessing every person in the Bible, and then you'll finally get it. The first one is Aaron. All right. Aaron was called the Holy One of God. Now, what what is about what is it about Aaron? What, who was Aaron? He was the high priest, all right? And then over in uh, Hebrews, we find out that Jesus is the, the true high priest. But when he's called the Holy One of God, it's in a time where there is a, um, there's a, some tension going on. And we have these people called the sons of Korah who are forming a rebellion. And we have Aaron here. And, and it's at that point that God is saying, Aaron is the Holy One of God. Not Korah, all right? Not these rebellious ones, but this one that I've appointed, all right, is the Holy One of God. The second one, you would not even, you, we, we could guess for an hour, and you wouldn't come up with them because it's Samson. Samson is called the Holy One of God. Now, interesting, it's, it's in the the Greek New Testament, that it, the Greek Old Testament that he's called the Holy One of God, mm-hmm. all right? But that's, that's the, Greek New Test- the Greek Old Testament that Mark used, all right? So he would have known that. So he's, he's the one. And you think, well, he's not a holy person. He was kind of a playboy. He did what he wanted. Big, mean guy, tough guy, killed a bunch of people, <laughs> all right? You know, and then he disobeyed God. He, you know, gave up his strength because, you know, this woman tempted him. He said, cut my hair and, you know, all that stuff. So you wouldn't think of him as a holy one of God. But he's a holy one of God because he used his strength really for God. He was a Nazarene. He was someone that specially appointed by God to. And even though in a lot of ways he's not the type of person we should say, oh, that's the type of person we should follow, he is because he followed God, even in his weakness, right? So he was another one. And the third one, you got very close, was not Elijah, but Elisha. Ah, Elisha. That's what I said. Right. You just didn't hear me. Yeah, that's right. I didn't hear it right. In Second Kings chapter 4, there's a whole series of miracles that are taking place with Elisha, and he's called the Holy One of God there. So I'm looking at this, and I'm saying, when this this demon called him the Holy One of God. It's in comparison to Eli, uh, to uh, Aaron, 
being the chosen one, not only the high priest, as chosen one of high priests, but during a time of rebellion, he was, uh, was confirmed again to be the high priest. Samson, Samson in his strength, he was overcoming God's enemies. That was really the main thing he did. He overcame God's enemies. And then Elisha, in the context of multiple miracles, uh, was called the Holy One of God. So we look at this neat title here of Holy One of God. Let me just say this one, one other thing in verse 25. Jesus shuts this, this demon down very quickly. He shuts him down and he gets him out of the man. And you can see that there is strength over God's enemies there, like Samson. He is, he is uh, fighting a rebellious spirit at that time, and it's a miracle. So he actually he fulfills all three of those holy ones of God as he calls this, this demon out. And the first thing he said was, be quiet. But you know what that word really means? I love this one. It means put a muzzle on it. That's literally what it means. Put a muzzle on it. <laughs> Jesus did that to the demon, and he also did it to the waves one time when the waves were and the winds were uh, causing a lot of, uh, you know, you, you hear the peace be still. He, he, saw, he said the same thing to the wind and the waves. Put a muzzle on it. And it got quiet. So anyway, I think that's a neat little story. But anyway, first of all, he's called the Holy One of God. The second thing I want you to look at is uh, Mark chapter 2, and we're just going to look at verses 3 and 5, and it's the story of the paralytic man who, um, who is uh, brought by friends. Now, he's brought by friends, four friends, and they can't get him to Jesus. And so what do they do? Does anyone remember what they do? They bring him up on the roof, they tear the roof up, and they lower it down. And most people look at that and they say, this is a story about faith. These men had faith, and they were healed because their friend was healed by their faith, and we should follow their example of faith. But guess what? Even though faith is important, this is not the main point of the story. We miss the main point of the story when we focus on faith because Mark chooses his words really carefully so that you'll center, and you can see this if you read in the, especially the original language, instead of centering in on those people, those four men, he has you centering in on Jesus. He puts your focus on Jesus. And I learned this, especially when I was reading through, uh, studying through 1 John, how how everything in the New Testament, and really the Old Testament too, is centered on Jesus. And that's how what we're supposed to do. So he chooses his 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 main emphasis uh, emphasis here is to center on Jesus, not the men, not even on their faith, but on Jesus. Now he does this, and I'm going to read this in. I'm, this is a literal translation of this, but I'm going to read it in, in the the um, in the NIV first, and then I'm going to read it in, in a literal translation. It says, "Some men came bringing to him a paralytic, carried by four of them, since they could not get." Him to Jesus because of the crowd that made an opening in the roof above him, and after digging through it, lowered the mat of the paralyzed man was lying. The, the paralyzed man was lying on. All right, this is what it says literally here. They came bearing to him a paralytic, taken up 
by four. And not being able to bring to him through or on account of the crowd, they unroofed the roof where he was. (laughs) And the stress of all those verbs is on the action of of what they did. And one of the most important ones, the, the bearing, the taking up, and the bringing. And the, the, the one to me that's most important is this one bringing. All right. It's a special word. It says, and they were bringing the man. All right. If you go over to Matthew chapter 2 and Matthew chapter 5, it says, when you're bringing your gift to the altar and you realize that someone has something against you, you need to go and deal with that first. But when he says, when you're bringing a gift, that's the same word, bringing. Now in Matthew 5, what is it, what's it talking about bringing? You're bringing a, or a sacrifice. All right, it's a sacrificial word. And it's used a lot in the Old Testament in Leviticus and Numbers when it's talking about bringing uh, sacrifices uh, to worship. And so the idea here is these men have picked up their friend as a, almost like a sacrificial, as an offering to God, as an offering to Jesus. And all these synonyms that we have here stress who they're bringing it to, not so much what they're doing. And so they're bringing this gift to the healer. They're bringing their friend, their their almost at like a sacrifice to the one who can forgive. And later on, he says, your sins are forgiven. And he also says, you're healed. He says both in this case. And so it says, they were bearing to him. And and three times it says, and they brought him, they were bearing to him and they brought to him. And then they unroofed the roof where he was. So the stress again is on Jesus all three times. And so here, and then, and then at last, the last thing where it says Jesus saw, it, it starts off really in the Greek, seeing their faith. So it's what Jesus saw. So the, all these things are just focusing in on the person of Jesus more than even their faith and more than what they did. And it's as if these men, they knew the only place that, that, that their friend could be healed and forgiven was to the man there who could do it. All right. So um, even, uh, let's see here. Looking at my notes that I can't read. That's what I said. Okay. <laughs> Mark chapter 5. It's the last one. Mark chapter 5. We're going to look at verses 25 through 27. Okay. It says here, this is right in the middle of a story. And we've used this story before where Jarius or Jarius, I don't even know how to pronounce his name. He comes and he says, my little girl's dying. And they take off and they're going to go to, to, uh, to heal his, the, uh, the chiefs, the guy, the head of the synagogue, heal, heal uh, his daughter. And a crowd gets all around them. And this woman reaches out and touches him. And this stops Jesus, and he talks to her, and he, he, she's been healed, but then he, 
he basically is letting people know that she's healed and he commends her during that time. And then they find out the little girl's dead and they, they go there. And there's a lot of things that are happening here. And, and so there are, and I'm going to show this to you. I'm going to read a literal translation again. There are what are called participles, <laughs> seven of them. They're verbal adjectives. They, that means that they, the easy way to recognize them is if they end in ing. All right? Bringing. All right, that would be uh, uh, one. Having, so on. But there's one main verb. Now, why is that important to have to find your main verb in a sentence? What does a verb do? What does a verb do? It is, it shows action. So the verb is, here's the action. But if you got a lot of verbs, then you don't know which is the most important one. And the way our English is, is, um, is translated, you don't know which is the most important verb. Okay, so I'm going to read it. And you tell me what you think is the most important verb. This is in verse 25 through 27. And you can see if you can find a verb and say, that's the most important verb. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in a crowd and touched his cloak. Touched. You say touched? Anyone else have? I don't suffer. You said suffer? Cain. Cain. All right. Well, let me read it, and you can, you can really hear it when you read it and you make these participles come out, okay? And, and listen, and they're all really... Being, having, they, they start with being and having, okay? A certain woman, and this comes from what is called the literal standard version. It's a literal standard version. A certain woman being with the flow of blood for 12 years and having suffered many things under many physicians and having spent all that she had and having profited nothing, but rather having come to the worst, Having heard about Jesus, having come into the multitude behind, she touched his garment. You see how the emphasis is there? All right. When you read it that way, it's the story just kind of building up. You see, she was being with this problem and she had suffered many things and she having spent all that she had and having profited nothing, but rather having come to the worst and having heard about Jesus and having come to the crowd uh, behind, she touched. All right. And so what Mark is trying to do here, she's trying to, he's trying to get you to look at that and say, why was that important? Why was this word touched important? Hmm. A few verses later, Jesus says, who touched me? Who touched me? And then he said, she said, I touched you. All right. So in any time it's, it's repeated, that's usually an emphasis. And then later on, he goes to the little girl and he, what? Touches her. Ah. You see, in the Old Testament, if you touched a sick person or a dead person, you are unclean. You don't touch sick people. 
especially certain if they have if they have boils or any kind of bleeding or anything like that. You don't touch them, mm-hmm. and you don't touch dead people, or you're unclean. You have to go through a ritual to get clean. But Jesus, if we know over and over, he's touching lepers, and he's touching sick people, and he's touching dead people, and he's touching a, a coffin that's coming by, and he stops it, and everyone, whoo, he touched it, and he touches that and stops them, and he raises that person from the dead. So what he's trying to do in that touching is to show he's the fulfillment of the Old Testament, and that his touch does the opposite of what it used to do. See, he can cleanse with his touch, whereas before my touch would just make me unclean. His touch cleans. And really, the touch that we need more than our physical, of course, our physical things and our emotional things and all that is our spiritual cleansing. That touch from Jesus that, that, that will heal us and cleanse us of our, of our sins. So here's the three little diamonds. Who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? He's the Holy One of God. All right, He's the one who's the fulfillment of everything Samson tried to do, everything uh, Aaron tried to do, everything Elisha tried to do. He's also the focus of, of our lives. When we come in, when these men bring their friend in, they're focusing on Jesus. They're not saying, look what we're doing. We're bringing in our friend. But they're focusing on who they're bringing it to. So he's the focus of our life. And he's also one that who will, when he touches us, he can change our lives, spiritually change our lives and completely change our lives. And that's the three diamonds from Mark today. Thank you for listening to the Alan Wright Sermons podcast. We hope you'll join us next time. God bless you and have a wonderful week.